agricultural industry is under attack, especially local farms. Why does this matter? What kind of impact is this going to have, not just on our country, but on the world? And how can conservatives fight back against this attack by preserving and supporting local agriculture. Today's guest, John Clark, just wrote a book called Small Farm Republic, Why Conservatives Must Embrace Local Agriculture, Reject Climate Alarmism, and Lead an Environmental Revival. It's really for the sake of not just the survival of our generation, but our children and our children's children. And he makes the case that we're actually called by God to do this. Very, very interesting and unique conversation that I know you guys are going to get a lot out of. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use code Allie at checkout. That's GoodRanchers.com. Code Allie. John, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Uh, first, could you just tell everyone who you are and what you do? My name is John Clar. I'm a former tax attorney. I still remain admitted to the bar, but mostly I farm and I write here in Vermont. And as uh, as you know, I've got a book out about uh, local agriculture and how conservatives can help support an environmental movement by supporting local farms without buying into the whole climate alarmism garbage. Right. It's called Small Farm Republic, Why Conservatives Must Embrace Local Agriculture, Reject Climate Alarmism, and Lead an Environmental Revival. This seems like the perfect time for this book for a couple of reasons. I've noticed, as you've probably noticed, over the past couple of years since the start of COVID, there has been a move, it seems like, at least among the people that I follow on social media, to start at the very least gardening and growing some of their own produce. They realize the need for reliance on local farmers with all the supply chain issues that we've had over the past couple of years. It's kind of just made people realize, okay, maybe I should be more self-sufficient than I was previously. And then also what we're seeing globally with the attack on farming, the attack on livestock that we're seeing in places like uh, the Netherlands, Sweden, Ireland. And so that's why part of why this book interests me right now. But tell us why you decided to write it right now. Well, actually, I've been working on it for several years. I didn't plan to be a farmer as the book relates how I ended up in it as a lawyer. I became very sickened with Lyme disease, which, by the way, also led to my faith journey. So I think I'm better off as a as a faithful lawyer than a faithless or a faithful farmer than a faithless attorney. Hmm. Um, the reason I felt this book is so important, and you're right on point with both of your points. During COVID, we saw the fragility of our food system, our medical system, our entire economy, and many people here in Vermont. You know, a lot of people have moved to Vermont. The 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 cost of farmland is roughly doubled. It's making it hard for young people to get into it. And then, again, as you say, more and more people are seeing globally, there seems to be some kind of push to get rid of all the cows to save us. What's really going on there? And that, of course, has developed since the book came out. But also we have people in the middle. There are a lot of people, as you say, trying to garden or get back to the land or create more food security. Many people in cities really realize now that they cannot do that. And 
the antidote is to not see it as an urban versus rural divide. That's what's been developing in America for 100 years. It's time to recognize that people in the city need rural farmers. And we rural farmers want people in the city to buy our food. And we want the city to go to for cosmopolitan or cultural uh, there's sort of an exchange there. But over time, we have been destroying our local farms in, in a short-term push for profit. We have lost food quality, human health, and something that should be very important to conservatives. And, and part of the point of my book is, even though I'm speaking to conservatives, this is an issue that should um, bring people together in this culture divide. On the left, they're trying to weaponize food. They're saying it's all about equity. They're saying it's all about cows, and then climate change comes in. In the end, people need to eat. And there should be no controversy over supporting local uh, food production. And I, I'm not an extremist where I say, you know, we should have only organic and, and I support conventional farming as well. But the more we start outsourcing our food production, processing, inspection and distribution to places like China, the more we are becoming dangerously dependent. And I would say unbiblically dependent on a modern American techno mysticism instead of the the plan god gave us to raise our own food which starts in genesis chapter three it's the curse of eating the apple you will work by uh the sweat of your brow and thorns shall pierce your flesh and now we think that we've cheated god's plan for us to be close to the earth and our microbiomes um but we've actually got a much worse situation than labor on our hands we're giving ourselves cancer and we're giving our our children lower sperm counts and perhaps transgenderism itself is caused by endo endo disrupting chemicals. And this is where conservatives and liberals should be able to come together on the chemical pollution and not focus everything on the controversial issue of carbon while we don't seem to care about the other chemicals. So that that's sort of the summary wow. of why I think it's a poignant book right now. Yes. Wow. You mentioned so much in there. And one word that really caught my attention that you just said was techno mysticism. And then you talked about the theological implications of buying into that kind of techno mysticism. Can you explain what you mean a little bit more by that? Sure. Good question. Uh, I take the term I want to credit to the writer Wendell Berry from Kentucky. Yes. Who I yes I've read Wendell Berry. Yes. And actually, if you look at my Substack, you'll see I write about how we're in the midst of a new religion called woke theocracy. And it's a theocracy because it's being implemented at all levels of our government, and it's a violation of the Establishment Clause, and it meets all the attributes of a religion, according to many authors and, and Supreme Court and other court decisions. So what we're witnessing is a time when people have so much faith in their new religion that they're casting aside basic principles. They will throw away their food supplies and, and disrupt their food supplies in the name of equity, for instance. They will destroy the economy in trying to elevate ideological principles above basic money supply and other principles. And ultimately, it is a, a, a religion. Now, whether one is a Christian or not, the Bible is very clear about food, because as I, I recently gave a message about this, we have this sort of covenant in, in, in the garden that we will be gardeners, right? And now we're flipping light switches and getting our food delivered to us, plastic wrapped, replete with all the chemicals, not only in the food, but the phthalates and the PFAs and the BPAs and all of these other things we're finding have saturated our food. And um, But the end of the Bible in Revelation has some pretty strong words about the third rider of the apocalypse on a black horse, starvation and famine, with with um, scales in their hands because it implies that there will be food inflation as we're seeing now 
and food scarcity. And that's something else I write about with my tax background. If we look at, at inflation, we can see why food is already inflating at a much higher rate than the underlying inflation rates and why it will continue to as fossil fuels and fertilizers increase. This is a crisis unfolding. And while the liberals are trying to terrify us with their religion about unscientifically, you know, it's proven climate change, about guns, about women's rights being taken away. And the real threat might be the most close to our homes, which is our, our microbiomes, literally feeding our stomachs and our children and our grandchildren. So when you, it literally is a new religion that is turning everything that is good and calling it evil, and all that is evil is being called good. And so that's why I've mentioned technomysticism has led us out of the garden and into a, a much more dangerous predicament. Okay, y'all, first sponsor for the day, one of my favorite companies, and that is Range Leather. This is a great place to get a Christmas gift, whether you're a related bro or a related gal. This is a, a great place to get leather earrings or leather hats or any kind of leather product that you can think of, wallets, uh, belts, they've got it all. And this is a company run by people who share the same values that you and I have. They're fans of Relatable. They make all of their stuff out of Laramie, Wyoming. So another American-made company that you can support. It's a great year to make sure that all of the gifts that we are buying our loved ones are from companies that share the principles that we do. So you can do that by going to rangeleather.com slash Allie. You'll get 15% off all of their products. rangeleather.com slash Allie. rangeleather.com slash Allie. So what is your response to those who say, to the so-called scientists, who say, while local farming is bad for the climate, it's bad for the environment. Um, in Ireland, there was this terrible story of apparently um, uh, killing livestock there. And we've seen that actually um, throughout the world, uh, throughout Europe, Ireland's agricultural sector accounts for 37.5% of the country's greenhouse gas emissions and faces stringent cuts to meet climate targets. Irish farmers could be forced to cull cattle to meet climate goals. So this is something that's happening in several places because of apparently the emissions of the cows. What do you say to this, to those who say, well, we're just trying to save the world and save the environment by culling this cattle and clamping down on local farming? I would say Romans eight twenty eight that what they mean for ill, we can use for good. Um, this is a great opportunity for us as Americans of wherever your faith or political or other background is to see exactly what a big lie this is. Um, it is not true that local farming is more disruptive to the environment. In fact, they use CAFOs or confinement feed operations to label all cows evil. But as I document in my book, using the other books of people much more intelligent and trained in these areas than I am, who study soil, who study cows, it's pretty clear that there's something else going on here. This isn't about saving the planet at all. You said in a recent interview that you like 4th of July because you like fireworks. Well, I don't want to take your fireworks away, <laughs> but if we really wanted to save the planet, wouldn't fireworks be one of the first things to go? Maybe lawnmowers, maybe golfing or skiing or other things that consume fossil fuels and deface the environment without producing food at all. But yet we're going after cows. In Ireland, it's particularly striking. Holland is the other place. Ireland's particularly striking because a lot of that milk and dairy production and meat production is grass-fed. 
And there's a huge difference between taking a cow and sticking it in a, in a prison-like factory and, and then bringing its food to it and then bringing its manure elsewhere. And then the food you bring is made with grains, which are destroying the planet in their production, right? GMOs, chemicals, glyphosate, et cetera, and all the fossil fuels to boot. If you just put a 20 or 30% of our cows, there are 94 and a half million cows in the country, back into rotational grazing, the way God intended, the way we broke it with industrial techno mysticism, you would sequester more carbon than in, in about 10 years than we've ever generated in the entire industrial revolution. Solar panels don't do that. EV cars don't do that. And industrial farming doesn't do that. And we have the science and we need to rebuild our soils because we're losing soils tremendously. Nobody talks about the soil erosion. You don't replace soils with spray on chemicals from, you know, DuPont and Monsanto, you use manure and you let the cows, cows spread it for you. You have healthier meat, you have healthier animals, you have an economy that's local. Everybody who's bashing cows are all pushing for a giant globalist solution. And as Wendell Berry points out, you don't feed the world, you feed the local. And that's how you feed the world. Right. And you don't save the world from pollution, even if global warming were being caused at the rates they say, which it clearly isn't. Um, but even if you you don't you don't solve the problem at a global global level, individual responsibility and my decision to cut back on how much I pollute or how many flat screen TVs I own or what I eat for food, these are how we make the differences. And we actually see that when when government tries to instill its moral code, its its new climate morality, its new animal morality, it's it's a, it's a cornucopia of causes. When they try to apply it to people against our wills, people rebel. And when they try to impose water restrictions, for instance, in California during droughts, water use went up because it's the tragedy of the commons. People are tend to be resistant and oppositional. If you help people understand why it's in their self-interest, like I'm trying to do in this book, conservatives have a tremendous amount of self-interest in their local food supply. And they should figure that out and see that for personal health and for food security. Okay, Seven Weeks Coffee. Seven Weeks Coffee provides excellent, high-quality coffee, but I think the best part about this company is their mission. The reason that they're called Seven Weeks Coffee is because at Seven Weeks Gestation, the baby in the womb is the size of a coffee bean, and Seven Weeks Coffee is a pro-life coffee company, and they prove that by donating a percentage of their sales to pregnancy centers across the country. You know these pregnancy centers are doing the Lord's work in helping families and their babies uh, by providing all kinds of material and spiritual and emotional resources for them. They have donated, Seven Weeks Coffee has donated over $250,000, $250,000 to these pregnancy centers. They're now supporting over 700 centers because of people like you buying coffee from Seven Weeks Coffee. Go to sevenweekscoffee.com. Use promo code Allie for 10% off your order. Sevenweekscoffee.com, code Allie. Sevenweekscoffee.com, code Allie. Tell us what exactly we can do. So we are to embrace local agriculture, reject climate alarmism. I think most conservatives had that. We understand that. Lead an environmental revival. And you're talking about regenerative farming. 
most people, even, you know, people in the suburbs maybe are a little bit closer to farming life than people really in the, you know, thick of urban life. But they don't really know what that means. You know, I'm, they're thankful to go to their local farmer's market and maybe they're picking up raw milk, which you're not allowed to talk about, or they're picking up their organic eggs from their local farmer. But beyond that, they don't really know what goes into it and they don't know how to participate in helping their local farm. So what does that look like? Well, that's a really good question. And and I don't flatter, by the way, that's sinful. That's a really good question because that's the core of the book and why anybody would read it or why I should write it. Um, there are several levels to answer. Uh, first of all, people need to be informed. Like anything else, before you can have an opinion to vote upon, and people in the city are still voting on the farm bill through their elected reps. They're still influencing the legislation that impacts their food supply. So the idea that you are disconnected from your farmer is actually a an idea of the adversary who lures you into thinking somehow the farmer is your adversary. As Wendell Berry observes, for decades we have lamented the loss of the family farm and yet we keep losing them. Why is that? And the answer is that for decades we've had policies in our government and this is where I want to avoid the yawn, but we, we have subsidized monocultures and industrial farming at the expense of small farms. This has not been a free market agrarianism. This has been a non-free market where large corporate actors, as we see with pharmaceutical companies and, and many other companies, you could go down a list, gain access to our government to enforce and enact leg- regulations that favor their business model and sacrifice the small little guy. And for decades, our government even said to farmers, get big or get out. And now they're saying, look, you're polluting because you're too big. Now get out. Vermont had 29,000 dairy farms at the beginning of the Great Depression. And now we have about 550, I believe, at last count, most of which are consolidated. They're larger because that was the only way to be profitable. So in answer to your question, what people in the city would also benefit from. Uh, by the way, they can buy directly from CSAs. They can buy more and more products out there. It's it's hard to be to rely on some of the labeling. So I recommend the book Beyond Labels by Joel Salatin and Cena McCullough, which will really help people make informed decisions and avoid those who are who are toxifying them and their children. But also, what about supporting two main policy areas? One is let's pair back over time, not immediately, not like Sri Lanka, let's pair back the billions of dollars that we give to fund toxic, destructive industrial agricultural practices, particularly corn, soy, and wheat subsidies. And let's divert some of that money to support small farms and the young people who do want to move in the country and raise local food and sell to other young people who want to move to the country and work on their laptops and make a lot of money online and then buy that local food. There's there's an emerging economic growth here to revitalize rural America. Uh, but the other big thing to do that would be so easy to do this would be to reduce the tightening regulatory structures, particularly at the federal level, but also at the state level, which have made it more and more costly, even prohibitively costly, for young, small or small scale farmers to get into the business. And they want to keep us battling over small versus large or organic over conventional. But, you know, conventional food grown here in Vermont might be less toxic to the ecosystem than organic food that was grown and shipped, let's say, from you know Brazil or Chile or China. Even if I could trust that labeling, um, it's more complex than that. But so we have to come together and not allow this these false divisions, including over race. You know, I've written about this. You know, we all need food and we all need to come together. And the soil doesn't care what color you are. The cow doesn't care what color you are. And in the end, starvation doesn't care what color you are. So um, 
everybody has a stake in it. So the first thing is to get educated. The second thing is to pare back federal subsidies of toxic food production that's destroying the planet and our animals and our health. And the third is to reduce the regulations for small producers. We realized during COVID that we don't have enough processing facilities right here in Vermont. And we have more local processing in Vermont than a lot of other states. Many states are in a crisis and they had to kill animals. And our entire system came to a halt of meat processing and we increased our beef imports from Brazil 57% in one year because, and, and our farmers got dumped on and our consumers saw inflation and the food processes that are the middle between the farmers and the consumers are milking it just like they've milked the milk market. That's the answer. A farmer to consumer alliance is what we need. And that's why people should not feel powerless and turn away and just keep eating uh, the, the, the toxic food that corporate America is feeding them. Yeah. And I would love for you to talk a little bit more about that personally. You mentioned that you had Lyme's disease and that's kind of what led you to um, or you have it. And that's what led you to being a farmer in Vermont. Are you are you from Vermont originally? I'm an odd animal. Um, like we see much as people move around the country. If you're born in Vermont, then you're you're condemned for being a nativist, <laughs> but you're only allowed to call yourself a Vermonter if you're born here. I was conceived in Vermont and born in Connecticut. So I'm a I'm a Vermonter by birth and a flatlander, they call us out of staters by by or by birth and a, and a Vermonter by conception. So I guess it depends on when life when life when life begins. In my case, I am seventh generation Vermonter right here on the land I'm sitting on. I've been on, you know, I'm renting here, but we own land still that's been in our family for seven generations. And I have many family members here. And yet I've lived in the UK. I've lived around the country. I've lived in Connecticut. And um, so the Lyme disease was a gift in a way because my life was, I was working 80 hours a week and I was really stressed out. And so when I got really sick, I decided I needed to be more physically active. And so I moved to Vermont where I was originally sort of thought, you know, I've, it's always been sort of my, my home. So if I can do it, anybody can do it, by the way. And that's part of the message of the book. A lot of people are jumping off the cliff to raise their own food or to live in a rural area. And I can't really claim some kind of virtue that I did so. It was the consequence of my illness. God was in it. Romans 8, 28 again. And then I was on antibiotics for a on and off for about 12 years. So mm -hmm. I, I may have killed the Lyme and I have some residual illness, but in my case, I didn't get diagnosed for years. Wow. So it was really quite crippling. So that's why healthy food, avoiding alcohol, aspartame and other food additives, these became imperative for me, whereas before I could abuse my, my temple. And so I went from sort of becoming a, a, you know, a, a self-destructive workaholic to have to change my whole lifestyle to be more in tune with, once again, what God's plan is for good health. All right, let me tell y'all about Good Ranchers. As you know, I've been telling you for years at this point that the Stucky family is obsessed with Good Ranchers. It's what we rely on to eat the meat, all of the meat that we eat in our home. It's from Good Ranchers because they get all of their meat from American farms and ranches. And that is not true when you go into the grocery store. Even the meat that says made in the USA, it usually just means packaged in the USA, not that it's actually from American farms and ranchers. So if you care about supporting American industry, then you should get all of your meat from Good Ranchers. They've got a really good deal uh, going on right now. Uh, you can save an extra 10% on 
every order, an extra 10% on every order with my code Allie. And okay, related gals, this is a really great gift for your husband or for your dad. They can get that box of meat sent to their front door every month. So you've got better than organic chicken, great beef, steak, all that good stuff. Just go to GoodRanchers.com. Use code Allie for an extra 10% off. GoodRanchers.com, code Allie. And uh, tell me a little bit about this uh, PETA uh, cease and desist that you received. Well, I don't know. Are you are you afraid to talk about it? You might get sued by PETA. You've oh. already proven to me you're kind of a feisty one. So I yeah. think you're taking it on with both horns. So in That's answer fine. to that, I <laughs> was in another interview where I commented that the climate warriors, including the so-called animal rights activists, are not standing up to protect the cows in Holland and um, Ireland, as you mentioned. John Kerry recently said this is coming to America. We have to close farms, they're saying. Um, cows are the solution, not the problem. So what are they really doing? And um, so when I made a comment in an interview that PETA and others, they don't point this out, but they actually are calling to kill the cows. If you're gonna take 200,000 cows out of Ireland, you could let them die of old age or you can send them to the to the abattoir to be you know slaughtered, but you're certainly not going to put them out to grass, and it, it's expensive you know to feed these animals. These animals, I have 16 cows, they eat a lot, okay, and um, so the the whole idea that you're going to get rid of animals in the name of saving them is completely convoluted. And so now PETA then a couple of days ago sent me a letter. Uh, from their lawyers saying that they were going to sue me for defamation if I said this because, uh, you know, PETA never says we're going to kill the animals. No, they don't, but they do because by their omission and same with the climate people, and they're not talking about where these animals are to go. And implicit in this is a very interesting question for, uh, you know, theologically or philosophically is what animals, what rights animals have, if any, and in the name of universal rights, is it beneficial to basically kill all the cows and all the sheep and all the pigs to eat that, and we're supposed to eat soy formula or fake meat? Um, is it really helping the animals if we eliminate their life? We want to take care of them better, not eliminate them entirely. So that's why PETA has come after me. So I put out a substack demonstrating PETA's extremism and how ridiculous they are and some of their policies and, and, and some of the horrible things they say about farmers and other people. They say drinking milk is a white supremacist drink yeah. because it just shows that's exactly how, how white supremacists act and it's so oppressive. They, they're just totally off the rails and they can't seem to figure out whether they're, they're climate warriors or social justice equity warriors or animal rights warriors because like so many of these organizations, they've just gone off from their original mission into wokeness and all of those different moral um, prerogatives come into play. And so they, they sort of lose their foundation. So I actually invite the controversy so we can talk about the cows. I raise cows. My cows are grass fed. I take good care of my cows. I'm not a cow killer. Peter's the cow killer. Peter wants to get rid of all cows because they're so evil and they want people to eat soy. Well, soy is going to be grown with GMOs. It's going to be saturated in glyphosate. It's going to till up the planet. It's going to release carbon. It's going to burn fossil fuels. It's going to burn all kinds of fertilizer. The number one uh, urea, our top fertilizer, nitrogen, is made from natural gas. Natural gas is methane. So you're going to get rid of the cow burps. So you can use more methane from the chemical companies instead, and you're going to lose the manure in the process, which rebuilds soils, helps with water retention. We're in a water crisis. So PETA 
if they want to lock horns with me, truth is a defense. PETA, I wrote to them and said, well, what do you want to do with the cows that I said you are calling to exterminate? They are calling. Bill Gates has said, we only need 150 cows to feed the world because we can then use their DNA to use soy and other plants to replicate in a vat their animal flesh. Well, what that leads to is more costs, more pollution, and more control of our food supply. Okay, let me tell y'all about my Patriot Supply. So we've got a box of my Patriot Supply stowed away should things ever hit the fan or for whatever reason we can not access our food supply. And hopefully that's never going to happen, but you just never know. The only thing that we know at this point that we can predict is that things are unpredictable. We just don't know what the future holds. So if you just want to make sure that your family is taken care of when it comes to their food supply and emergency situations, then you should get an emergency food kit from my Patriot Supply. It's good for 30 years. I recommend getting the three-month emergency food kit and get one kit for every member of your family. That's how you make sure that they are are taken care of. It's an investment that you just won't regret. Go to uh, preparewithally.com. You can get $200 off your order. That's a big deal. Preparewithally.com for $200 off preparewithally.com. So PETA says, this is according to Fox, that they are against the uh, the killing of the 200,000 cows. They call it ridiculous. They said that these are government kill squads. They won't help. They say that they advocate for diet change to help climate change, not for killing cows. But what you're arguing is that they essentially are by saying we shouldn't be eating anything from cows. We shouldn't be getting our dairy from cows. Uh, you know, we shouldn't be getting our meat from cows that that is going to eliminate the need for cows and then that would lead to the termination of these cows' lives. So what you're trying to argue is that PETA doesn't realize or doesn't admit that what they're advocating for will actually lead to the execution of all of these cows, right? Well, and it's pretty obvious to you and your viewers that that's the case because it's their position is completely illogical. And as I outline in my uh recent, my second to last uh, Substack article, they take the same posture with bees. They say they take the same posture with elephants. Elephants should be killed rather than held in a zoo, they say. Um, no, no animal should be used by any human for food, for clothing, for anything. Well, where do the animals go? In the case of bees, they've asked for people to boycott honey because of the mistreatment of bees. And yet the honey industry is where most of the money is raised to to figure out what's going wrong with the bees and to help the health of the bees. We have crops that are dependent on bees. How are they going to eat their plants without their bees? So, but where do they think the bees will go if they are not used to produce the honey, the profits of which is being used for research to help bees? I mean, it's simply sort of back to what I was saying about the wokeism, that it disconnects completely from the common sense in pursuit of these goals that, you know, you can't, Allow, PETA says on its website that every animal has a right to basically self-determination and lead a free life. Well, who's going to feed them? <laughs> you know, cows, they, they need to be milked or they die, or, and they need to be fed huge amounts of food. And they have been domesticated for tens of thousands of years. So it is an impossibility, um, pretty much. You, you could phase the cows out, through all, but then they're gone. So in the name of protecting animals from slaughter or other things, which can be done in very humane ways to afford them a meaningful life, farmers are stewards. Good farmers really do care about our animals in ways that 
nobody else can really understand when you buy it chopped up in a store. So I think that PETA sounds more like those, those they're very distant from the reality. That, yeah. And I had not read that quote, by the way. And that's a nice way to try to thread the needle, but it doesn't work. If you get rid of 200,000 cows, you're going to be, you, by one means or another, by hook or by crook, you're calling for ex- getting rid of all animal um, industry for all animals. And that's right. very clear from their websites. So right. I'm advocating, actually, I'm kind of on Peter's side in a way. I'm advocating for, I totally agree to reduce animal cruelty. My whole battle here in Vermont for um, on-farm slaughter traditions has been to preserve the best life possible for an animal. I consider it part of my faith to be reverential and, and steward that animal who dies that I might live. That's the balance in the middle. And if PETA were really advocating for animals, then they would be, as as you say they are, at the forefront of defending these cows. And then I'll praise them if they do that. Yes. But ultimately, if their goal is to get rid of all cows, you see how it's kind of they're talking out of both sides of their mouth. It doesn't make sense at all. Right. Um, I think a lot of people really see the need for relying on our farmers. A lot of my sponsors on this show, um, or a few of my sponsors on this show, are about localization and relying on local food sources. And I'm very thankful. I'm very thankful that conservatives, that we've kind of started talking about this, that we've opened our eyes to this. But a lot of people just don't know how to do it or what this means. And that's why you wrote this book. And I'm very thankful for that. And it's amazing just to hear how God used something that was meant for evil, that was meant for harm, like a terrible disease, and then led you to be a farmer and then led you to also spread the message about the importance of local farming. And I'm very thankful for that. So um, if you could just tell everyone again, the title of your book, where they can get your book, when it came out, all that good stuff. Can I plug my book? It's got a pretty cover, too. Yeah, of course. Joel Salatin, a fellow Christian and a libertarian, uh, wrote the foreword. Um, Joel and I don't create, agree on all issues, but we agree on the importance of farming. Uh, it's available at Amazon. It's available through uh, my website and also farmrepublic.com. And my substack is also called Small Farm Republic. I'm happy to keep writing about current events as they come up. And I'm sure we're going to see more about cows. And I ask people to pay attention to cows and the whole cow dialogue. What's being said about cows and what is the truth about cows? And you'll learn a lot about what's going on with the climate globalist warriors. Well, John, thank you so much. I really appreciate you breaking this all down and taking the time to come on. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor and a pleasure. God bless you. All right. I hope you all enjoyed that conversation. We will be back here tomorrow discussing all the things. There's so many things that we have to discuss that we missed last week during Thanksgiving week. Uh, But before we leave, I do want to tell you all about the Cyber Monday deal that's going on right now um, at blazetv.com. So if you're thinking about subscribing, which you absolutely should, we just don't know what's going to happen with YouTube and with Apple Podcasts, Spotify, like they already mess with conservative podcasts and their reach. And so there could be a day when you're just not able to access this podcast and the other conservative shows that you love through your normal channel. So you just need to make sure that you are subscribing to Blaze TV. That's how we stay on air. That's how we continue to 
communicate to you guys if we are censored, if we are taken off these normal kind of mainstream channels. And they've got a deal right now if you subscribe. So if you go to blazetv.com and you use code CyberMonday30, sorry, CyberMonday30, Cyber Monday 30, if you use that code at blazetv.com, you can get 30% off your subscription. So this is a great gift to maybe your family members that don't have a subscription or your friends. This is a great gift to yourself. It's a great gift to us to make sure that we can always communicate with you no matter what the sensors do. Also, just a reminder, we've got uh, merch, great Christmas gifts. You go to allymerch.com. Um, I think there's still a sale going on. Check the description of this episode. And if there's still a code that gets you a discount off of the merch, we'll put it in there. Uh, Allymerch.com for all kinds of really cute merch. And we have some Christmas merch from last year too that you can still purchase if you'd like. All right, that's all we've got for today. We will see you back here tomorrow. 